0: Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, we're talking about the blackouts that are rolling across California. And we're going to focus on two things. First, we're going to focus on the causes of the problem and what possible solutions are. And then second, we're going to talk about how your battery backup system that many of you have installed or you're thinking about installing will work during a blackout. (laughs) Because we're getting a lot of calls and emails from people saying, all right, I got the system. What's going to happen tomorrow when they turn off the power? We'll we'll kind of go into that. Now, doing the show on the morning of the first wide Spread public safety power shutoffs in Northern California. Three hundred thousand PG&E accounts, totaling up about two and a half million people, are without power today. Now, my neighborhood in San Jose. I've been hearing and reading about this almost everywhere you go for the last week that there's going to be this blackout. So, in my neighborhood in San Jose, this morning and even yesterday evening, completely calm, no wind. It's a beautiful sunny day, like yesterday, like this morning, like today but only five miles away at the top of Mount Umunhum. There's 60 mile an hour winds. So the winds are kind of at a high level. And, you know, here at the studio, I notice it's pretty windy in Fremont. So there's a lot of wind. It's not like a hurricane or anything, but these are steady, heavy winds. And the winds are also coming from the east. So they're Onshore winds are going to the shore, and they're dry, so the air is not that dry. When we have offshore winds from the Pacific Ocean, there's a lot of moisture in there. It's not so bad. So this is bad. But you know, in my little neighborhood in San Jose, although we were lucky not to be without power, although I wouldn't really care, the power shutoffs have happened less than half a mile away from my house. And so there's a lot of people in our neighborhood that don't have power. So, it's completely chaotic right now. These power shutoffs are dominating the news, and it's incredibly inconvenient if you're affected and if you're not prepared. <laughs> I think nobody should be surprised, because we've seen this coming, there's lots of warnings. And I have to say that PGD workers are trying really hard. They're doing the best they can to maintain the lines, to trim the trees, to you know, fix anything that might be damaged or needs immediate maintenance. The executives, they're talking a lot but I don't think they've done a lot over the last 10 years. So don't get angry at any of the pg and workers if they're wearing a tool belt. But you can be mad at any pg and employee that shows up with a tie, because those are the people, those are the executives that didn't make the right decisions for the state and candidly for their business over the last 10 years or so. Okay, what's a public safety power shutoff, and how does it work? All right, it happens when there are very dry conditions. It typically happens in October, November, when there's high winds and gusts. And what will happen is it could blow down utility lines, or it can blow down an entire tower, or it can blow equipment off of utility lines, and that high-voltage systems, it can cause a fire. Or the wires might not even have to come down. Trees can blow into the wires, or the wires can bend over and blow into trees that have grown nearby, and those trees could catch fire. And that's kind of what's happened. Just today, I heard on the news, the power in a neighborhood in San Jose, Alum Rock, the power was on. They didn't turn the power off because they didn't think there'd be a problem. But winds blew down a power line. It sparked and landed. In dry brush, and it caused a fire. Fire was contained fairly quickly. But this is the kind of thing that happens again and again and again. I'm kind of doing some research. PGE equipment is responsible for more than 1,500 fires in the last 10 years. Now, this happens with other utilities also. I don't know the statistics for other utilities. Other utilities aren't the, under the microscope like PG&E is, but you, know, you got high voltage, thousands of volts, and some of these wires are basically bare wires. It's just more efficient that way. But when they come in contact with something that's dry, boom, you get a fire. So we had back-to-back record-breaking fire years, unfortunately, in 2017 and 2018. This year, not so bad yet, but we're just getting into the bad fires. Season same conditions right now as almost two years ago when PG&E had planned to turn off the power feeding the Paradise area in Northern California. They decided at the last minute not to shut off the power because customers complain loudly. They're complaining now that the power's off. Well, in advance the customers are complaining too, and there's a lot of people that kind of need powers. A lot of emergency facilities people need power for medical reasons. They may need air conditioning. Who knows? So lots of customer complaints. Well, two years ago they decided not to turn the power off. And the result was the biggest and the deadliest fire in California history. So PG&E absolutely does not want to risk any more fires. And there's lots of reasons for that. So why are we kind of going through this now? What's kind of changed to cause all this fire danger? Well, there's a lot of factors. One factor is that more people live in forested areas. You know, there's a lot of cabins in the woods. There's a lot of developments that start up remote areas or people build houses that, you know, have a nice wooded area. kind of looks nice. There's old transmission and distribution equipment. So the utility poles are made out of wood. The stuff might have been put in 20, 30, 50 years ago or so, and it's decayed, or it might not be as safe as it was. The transmission lines, these really high-voltage lines also, some of these are pretty old, even if they're like these old metal towers. They might need to be replaced after a number of years. Secondly, the maintenance on this equipment, historically, PG&E has done a lousy job of maintenance. I mean, that's one of their biggest responsibilities. Many people argue their biggest responsibility, and there's reasons why they're not doing the preventive maintenance that prevent these fires. And we're just talking about maintaining the equipment, not to mention the tree trimming. Clearly, inadequate tree trimming. There's a lot of work to prune those trees, and the trees grow back every year. So there's an issue there. Some people have said that the problems caused by global warming, a warmer climate, I don't really think that that's making that big a difference. It's hard to put numbers on that, but clearly the other factors are bigger. And now, we're talking about some of these specific little reasons, well, big reasons why it's happening, but there's high-level, big business-related reasons why we're experiencing this now and we didn't experience this five years ago or 10 years ago or 25 years ago. And fundamentally, it's based on the business model that utilities operate under, that public utilities operate under, and also inadequate enforcement of regulations by the Public Utilities Commission. Now, pg is a public company. We call them a public utility, but it's investor-owned, and people like to refer to them as investor-owned utilities or IOUs. California's got three big investor-owned utilities, PG&E, San Diego Gas and Electric, and Southern California Edison, kind of in the LA area. Now, these public utilities are managed for the maximum profits. When you're on the board of directors or you're executive of these companies, you a lot of the discussion, the majority of the discussion is how can we maximize profits and then, you know, in the same sentence or the next sentence, while maintaining safety, kind of has a tendency for the profit maximization argument to win out over the maintaining safety. And the reason the profits are maximized is the, the company does better, people's stock options do better. The executives get bonuses and high salaries based on profits. They'll, they'll get penalized if there's safety issues, but you know, you can kinda of roll the dice and hope that on your watch you're not gonna have big safety issues or they kind of you know, water under the bridge, except for the people that are that are harmed by them. So they try and maximize the profits. Now, one of the biggest expenses that a public utility has is maintenance, maintaining all of the equipment, anything from keeping the oil up to the right level in the trucks, to maintaining transmission lines, to making sure equipment's operating properly, to pruning trees. So if they spend less money on maintenance, given the same revenues, their profits are going to be higher. So I heard this so many times on the radio over the past week, safety is their number one concern. Candidly? That's a lot of baloney. The number one concern for the executives was we want the company to be most profitable while maintaining safety. And when they have these things that happen, safety issues, they might get kicked out. But the next executive that comes in is going to say, gee, let's see if we can kind of maximize profits again. So that's the thing. The executives don't make more money. They're not compensated better if there's more safety. They'll be penalized if there's a disaster, but they make more money if they make more profits, and that's a fundamental reason. That's what's going on with the business model. But secondly, the public utility commission is not enforcing the safety requirements. You know, maybe our legal system is it's got too many holes in it, but I didn't really see a ton of pain that happened within PG&E over the last few years from these wildfires other than going bankrupt, but I also didn't see a lot of that they didn't change the safety requirements as a result of the big fires that happened in San Bruno 10 years ago. So somehow the system has to be changed to, to make sure that safety is indeed the number one concern and there's compensation when it's done right. Now, a, quote a couple days ago from Governor Newsom, because he's being asked, you know, this is kind of happening under his watch. He said, quote, they've created pg e has created the conditions that have forced this decision. The decision is these blackouts, these public safety power shutoffs that are affecting so many people. Newsom said, unfortunately, the decision needed to be made. They needed to turn the power off. It's not the decision that should be allowed to be made in the future once they upgrade their technology and upgrade their infrastructure. So can't kind of do this later. We've got to turn the power off now and deal with this pain now. Otherwise, we're going to have more fires. So it's also, you know, the the governor's involved as a political issue. Now keep in mind that there's some other political ramifications going on in the background. That are the reason why the power's off for two and a half million people in California. PG&E filed for bankruptcy in January 2019. They had estimated 30 billion dollars worth of liabilities from all the fires they've created. Now the state like really worked hard over the last couple of years to try and figure, heck, what what are we going to do about this? The state created a 21 billion dollar wildfire fund, and that wildfire fund was supposed to get money from ratepayers, people paying their electric bill, which you know I guess it's okay. Who else are you going to get the money from? And then the shareholders of the utilities. I don't know how much the shareholders are really going to pay. I'm kind of not that optimistic that they're going to really feel any pain there. And the requirement is, and this is a long-term fund, the requirement is PG&E has to contribute about $400 million per year to this fund. Edison and San Diego Gas and Electric would contribute also. Now, in order for PG&E to qualify to use this fund, they have to be out of bankruptcy by June 2020. So they have to be completed with their bankruptcy nightmare in nine months in order to take advantage of this fund. If they're not out of, bankruptcy. If it gets delayed, they're they're not going to be able to take advantage of this fund. And here's the other thing. If there's another big fire this year, their bankruptcy plans are going to get thrown in the trash. They're going to need new plans. So they're really trying to stay away from having another big wildfire this year. And I understand it. Now, also, No doubt. PG&E is holding two and a half million people or more hostage so they get better terms in their bankruptcy, so they can maybe get more state money, more taxpayer money, more rate increases. If people are complaining that the power is out, they say, "Oh yeah, we can fix this faster if we had more money." So that's kind of what's going on. Okay, the new normal are these rolling blackouts, these public safety power shutoffs. How can we resolve the situation? All right, this is what needs to get done to resolve the situation, so we don't keep having these things. We need proper maintenance of the utility lines and the trees. That's what's sparking these fires. PG&E estimated that it would take years and fifteen billion dollars to do the proper tree trimming, and you don't trim the trees once you're going to have to continue to maintain that. The utilities in the state, PG&E included, should install stronger utility lines, stronger utility poles, concrete, metal, or fiberglass instead of these wooden poles. The wooden poles are cheaper. They're not as strong. Go around the rest of the world, a lot of these poles are concrete or metal. Now, the the high-voltage wires are usually just bare wires, and possible that if they were to install insulation, use wires that's insulated. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit heavier. They might not be as, as durable, but they're less likely to catch fire. If a tree brushes up against an insulated wire, it's not going to burn. Now, this is interesting. San Diego Gas and Electric has installed a lot of equipment that does arc fault detection and automatic shutoff. So if they see like one of the utility lines, are watching every line, there's kind of a, a signal that indicates that there's an arc, there's a spark. It can automatically turn the power off. They don't have to wait to see, oh, did, is a fire going, I'm waiting for some guy with binoculars to look for a puff of smoke. And that equipment can be installed pretty quickly. Now, the downside is they would automatically turn the power off, in the lines but the good side the good thing is (laughs) you're not going to get a fire now they also can put in cameras on high areas and peaks and cameras actually on power lines that can kind of watch things and they can do better weather monitoring so there's a lot of things that can be done one of the things that kind of is obvious that's not going to happen is putting these lines underground it's like 10 times more money to bury a utility line than to put it above ground and sometimes you can't easily put these lines underground if there's a a water table if the water's kind of close so around the san francisco bay if you're close to the bay you're going to be down an area where there's moisture underground and the lines are even tougher to put in that kind of situation so here are the bottom lines not just bottom line now the reality is we're going to all spend even more money for electricity not the cost of generation. That's cheap. I mean, get this. Utilities and CCAs, Community Choice Aggregation Utilities, they're spending way less than three cents a kilowatt hour for electricity that's generated with wind and solar. So those utility farms, those big solar farms in the desert or in remote areas, they're generating power for two or three cents or less. And if you put solar panels on your own roof, you're not going to generate at $0.03 cents because you got a smaller system. You might have 30 solar panels instead of 30,000 solar panels. But you can generate power fully amortized, taking into account everything over a 25-year period. You can generate power for about 7 or $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour if you have solar on your roof. Here's the thing. Why is it going from $0.03 cents to, heck, I looked at my electric bill, it was $0.53 cents a kilowatt hour. And the reason is that there's a lot of cost involved in transmitting and distributing this power from the remote plants, from the gas, natural gas plants or solar plants or whatever, to your house, to your office. So the difference between $0.03 cents and 40 or $0.50 cents are all of the costs related with transmitting and distributing this power, the utility lines, the equipment, the poles, the trucks. Most importantly, but, and this is the biggie, all of the overhead, all of the management, all of the extra profits, the bonuses, the lawyers and the lobbyists that public utilities have to operate. I've done comparisons between, you know, in my area, we're in Silicon Valley. Palo Alto municipal utility and city of Santa Clara has their own utility. Their electric rates are, you know, 15 cents a kilowatt hour. The city is right nearby, San Jose. 40 or 50 cents a kilowatt hour. What's the difference? Because they're publicly owned and they have really high overhead and they pay a lot of money for lobbyists and lawyers and management. We're not talking about the cost for workers and equipment and things like that. It's mostly overhead. So are we going to change that really fast? No. So what can we do? Well, there's two things that we can do. We can complain to our politicians that pg e is not doing their job and there's a lot of noise about that, but pg e is fighting back. It's like, oh, you're going to complain? Right, turn off your power. Tough luck. Or we can take kind of matters into our own hand and get some kind of battery backup system or even a generator. Alright, now let's kind of change gears a little bit. And I'm really addressing this call to the people that have a battery backup system because we've been getting a lot of calls over the past week about how the system's gonna work in a blackout. People put these things in, they were kind of concerned about it, they might have had blackouts before. Customers might have you know be a little bit remote, they may need some power, you know, for medical reasons. So they're having a lot of questions about what to do in a blackout. So let's talk about how your battery backup system is gonna work. There's three parts to the commonly installed systems. There's the solar panels on the the roof which charge up the battery and keep the battery charged even when there's a blackout. There's an inverter. Generally, what we're putting in are hybrid DC-coupled inverters, and these this is one inverter that can connect to both the solar panels and also to the battery. The battery is a third part. Now, the other component that's kind of subtle, but it's really important, and this is what we always install for our customers, is something called a critical load panel. It's an extra electric panel that only is connected to what we call the critical loads in your house, the things you really want in a blackout, the things that you know it kind Going to be painful if they stopped working like your refrigerator like your lights like some outlets like your garage door opener like the coffee maker plug like your tv and your entertainment system those are the things you really want to keep going we're not going to be powering the large power appliances like the air conditioner, like your electric dryer, things like that, they use a ton of power. The reason is these large appliances are going to use up whatever battery capacity you have. I don't care if you have a 20 kilowatt hour or 30 kilowatt hour battery. If you want to run that AC on a sunny day, it's going to suck that battery dry in a matter of hours. If you want to completely charge up your Tesla 85 kilowatt hour battery from your 20 kilowatt hour battery or 10 kilowatt hour battery, It's gonna suck that battery dry in in half an hour. So it's really important to have this critical load panel, just what you really need. You know, you're you're kind of in a rationing situation. It's gonna automatically ration your power until the battery recharges. The next morning from solar now when the power goes out this is what happens the battery backup system in the inverter there's in the inverter has this thing called a transfer switch and that transfer switch automatically just kind of switches it's like okay i'm connected to the grid and this this critical load panel is powered by the grid the switch in the inverter automatically says up i'm disconnecting that critical load panel from the grid and i'm going to feed power to that critical load panel from the battery and that's automatically happens. It takes about five seconds. And then you're going to be able to, from whatever energy is left in your battery, you're going to be powering those things. Your critical loads, your refrigerator, your lights, your entertainment system. Now, even if the battery is kind of low, say your battery has a charge level of twenty-five percent, it's three quarters discharged, and that might happen, you know, in the middle of the night. It might happen at you know at midnight or so, because if you're using the power for other purposes, the battery's still going to have enough power in backup mode for your critical loads, and we'll go through the math for that in a minute. And the other thing is that battery might be discharged at twenty-five percent. Well immediately in the morning when the sun comes up, first thing that the solar does is starts charging up that battery. You know, I have two batteries. My batteries are fully charged by 1 o'clock. If I had one battery, it would be fully charged by about 10.30. All right. So, essentially, as long as the sun comes up the next day, or even if it's partly cloudy, um, you're going to have backup power for as long as this power outage lasts. And pg e is talking about these, these uh, power shutoffs. If you're in a remote area, you're going to be out without power for a week. Now, if you had a battery backup system with solar, boom. Every morning, your battery's going to be recharged. If you had a gas generator, you're going to be running back and forth to the gas station. All right. So a couple of questions. One question that people ask is how long is my battery going to last? And the answer depends on two factors. First, it depends on the charge level of the battery when the power goes out. So the public safety power shutoff in my neighborhood happened 11 o'clock last night. So if your battery were down to 25%, you know, 11 o'clock at night, you still have plenty of energy, as in our previous example, for other things. Since the battery that most people have has about a 10 kilowatt hour capacity, 25% in round numbers means you have 2,500 kilowatt hours left or, I'm sorry, 2.5 kilowatt hours left, or 2,500 watt hours left. And we'll talk about what 2,500 watt hours really means because the duration that the battery is going to last depends on how much power the things in your house are using, how much power your critical loads are using. So let's go through some math here. Your fridge draws about 75 watts on average throughout the day, or about 1,800 watt hours. Now, when the fridge is running, it might draw three or 400 watts, but it only runs maybe every 15 minutes out of an hour. Now, so we're talking about 1,800 watt hours for your fridge. That's kind of the main thing that's going to use up the juice. Now, let's talk about appliances in your kitchen and, you know, kind of the necessities of life. Let's say you have a 1,200-watt coffee maker, and you're going to run that for five minutes in the morning to make your coffee. And you have a 1,200-watt microwave, and you're going to nuke your breakfast for five minutes. That's only 200-watt hours. And let's say you have a bunch of lights around the house that are just kind of constantly running or other little crap that's plugged into the wall or your router, your cable modem, things like that. But I'm using the example of light bulbs. Let's say you have five 10-watt LED light bulbs. Those are big light bulbs, actually. Most light bulbs are more like five watts. But let's just say five 10-watt LED light bulbs, if you run those for 10 hours, that would consume 500-watt hours. So, kind of adding it up, we're talking about 500 watt hours for lighting and other stuff, 200 watt hours for cooking your breakfast and getting your coffee going, and 1,800 watt hours for your fridge, and that's for the whole day. That adds up to 2,500 watt hours. So, even when the battery's 25 percent discharged, or down to 25 percent charge level, you still got enough juice to kind of have your breakfast, and then the sun's up, and the thing's going to recharge. Your battery is going to be completely recharged if you've got a partly sunny day by around noon. Now, if it's a really cloudy day or pouring rain, you may not get a full charge at all if it's very overcast, but you'll get a little bit. All right, so to wrap up, here's the situation. Blackouts are a fact of life going forward. It's not going to stop. We can hope that our politicians are going to do the right thing from a safety and an an economic standpoint, but we can't count on that. Meanwhile, candidly, we're on our own when it comes to backup power for our homes and our businesses. All right. That's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.